When the Lord keeps you from having, usually He is doing it for your own good because He knows what the future holds and it's not His purpose and will that you should have this because He may well be protecting you from it and protecting you from Himself. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. I invite you to turn to God's Word this morning to Genesis chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can look in front of you to page 21. And we're continuing this series on the call of Abraham. And we're going to look at the first 16, or the whole chapter verse of chapter 16 here in Genesis. As we see this call of God to Abraham and how that takes shape through some, really some unfaithfulness. And God still redeems those choices that don't necessarily honor him. So as we do so, let's pray and ask that God's Spirit would teach us as we read His Word. Let us pray. Gracious God, Your Word is truth, and we sit under its authority. We ask this Lord's Day that Your Word would bring hope and comfort and exhortation and encouragement and are the very words of life to our souls this morning. We ask that it would be sharper than any two-edged sword and that it would speak to us by your spirit and guide us in all truth. This we ask through Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. And the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now a child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. 
He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Lahara'oi, and it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As most of you are aware, over the last few weeks, we have been looking at the Old Testament story of the life of Abraham. And today, as we come into chapter 16, we're reminded that there have been periods in the life of Abraham that have been a narrative of unquestioning obedience and uninhibited faith. Abraham has become the extraordinary recipient of God's grace and promise. And we have learned a great deal about that over these last four Sundays together. As we come into chapter 16, chapter 16 on the first reading would seem to be about the relationship between Hagar, excuse me, between Sarai and Abram. And ladies, I have a question for you as we look at the relationship between husband and wife, and the question is this. If you were to take husband, boyfriend, fiancé, Take them and your dog and lock them in the trunk of your car, leave them for three hours. Which of them would be glad to see you when you eventually opened it up? <laughs> that tells you a great deal right there, doesn't it? But we would be mistaken if we thought this chapter was only about the relationship between Abraham and Sarai, because it has a great deal more to teach us and simply that. We will focus on that, but it has an awful lot of hidden messages, and we'll see it as we exegete the passage this morning. Last Sunday morning, if you were with us, you will know that chapter 15 was one of the high points in the life of Abraham, where we have those famous words, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We've also learned in recent weeks that Abraham on 72 occasions is mentioned in the New Testament. In the books of Romans and Galatians and in Hebrews, he is featured as an outstanding example of faith. Twelve chapters in Genesis given over to Abraham. He is a remarkable individual. And if they have been the high points or some of the high points in Abraham's life, chapter 16 stands in stark contrast to the high points, and in fact, is one of the low points in the life of Abraham. There are times when his faith is growing, maturing, developing, and chapter 16 is not one of them. Abraham does not come out well in chapter 16, and we'll see that in a moment or two. Starts with Hagar, excuse me, it starts with Sarai, and look at verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. The passage goes on to tell us that after 10 years of living in Canaan, 
Abraham takes Hagar as his second wife, and she conceives and is expecting a child. But it does not turn out well. And even from the earliest moments of the dialogue between Sarah and herself, and then Sarah and Abraham, there were all sorts of warning lights going on in the passage. Now, you have to remember this. Sarai was hurting. She was in pain, just devastated that she couldn't bear children. And she knew that God had promised Abraham that his descendants would become so numerous they would be like the stars in the heavens, hundreds and thousands of them. And they'd been in Canaan for 10 years. That's a long time. Think back to 2004. What were you doing then? Where were you living? What age and stage was your family? Some of you have retired since then. Others have moved to a new job. Some have moved to Greenville. Ten years is a long time. And the passage doesn't tell us this, but I imagine it happening in the mind of Sarai where her thoughts took on a life of their own, and her imagination began to run riot. And she's longing for a child, and she realizes she can't have one. But the culture around her allowed for a maidservant in the home, if the mistress was comfortable and happy with the arrangement, the husband in the house could take a second wife. That was common practice in the ancient Near East among the Egyptians and in the northern tribes of Mesopotamia. And Sarai and Abraham would know this. And again, I imagine Sarai coming to Abraham and saying, now, Abraham, God has promised you a child. Abraham would say yes. But did he absolutely clearly say that I would be the mother of the child? If he didn't, perhaps the time is right for you to take a second wife. And after all, we know Hagar. She's been in her family home for several years now. We trust her. She's a likable girl. We think that if she conceives and delivers a child, maybe this is God's provision for us. Maybe this is how God intends to start a family. And after all, Abraham, doesn't God encourage and bless those who are willing to take the initiative, who are willing to commit to something, who are willing to move forward, who are progressive in their thinking? Isn't that the kind of family that God would bless and encourage? And don't you think He wants you to have a child? And you can see all of that thought process unfolding in Sarai's mind. And it's all about my will be done rather than thy will be done. And Abraham goes along. And what happens? Hagar conceives, and now there's a wee one on the way. And as the passage unfolds, we note in verse 2, the latter part of verse 2, Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. And so after Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now those closing words of verse 2 say this, and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. And in previous chapters, 
that was dominated by the thought that Abraham listened to the voice of God. And the Hebrew is quite clear in making the stark contrast between earlier chapters and the end of verse 2. And now Abraham was listening to the voice of Sarai and not the voice of God. Hagar is now expecting a wee one. And what happens? She despises her mistress. I can imagine Hagar wandering around the family home with a large tummy, just patting her tummy and looking at her mistress and saying, mm-hmm, I was able to do what you could not. And incidentally, he loves me more because I gave him what you could not give him, and I am God's provision and God's answer for all of this. And I'm the new mistress of the house. He spends more time with me than he does with you. He loves me more. And do you think that helped the situation any? Very opposite was the case. And understand the irony of what happened. At the beginning of the chapter, Sarai says, what? The Lord has kept me from having. The Lord has kept me from having. Have you ever been there? Thought something similar? The Lord has kept me from getting this job. The Lord has kept me from moving to this house. The Lord has kept me from whatever the end is. And understand this, and it is a fundamental biblical principle. When the Lord keeps you from having, usually He is doing it for your own good, because He knows what the future holds, and it's not His purpose and will that you should have this, because He may well be protecting you from it and protecting you from Himself. And if Sarai had prayed for and longed for a child, now this child was coming, and she despises that which she wanted the most. Do you see that? She ends up despising that which she wanted the most. After all of the plotting and the planning and the scheming and the manipulation and the emotional blackmail, and now she despises Hagar and this child. And what is the result? she explodes like a volcano. She so badly treats Hagar that she runs away from the family home. And she blames Abraham. You held this woman in your arms. You have done this. Look what you have caused. And to some extent, she was right. It was not all Abraham's fault. It was as much Sarai's as anyone. But please notice how Abraham responded. In those early moments when Sarai came to Abraham, he should have said to her, Now, Sarai, let's sit down for a minute. Let's talk this through. Let's pause and think what you're saying. And then he should have said this, Sarai, I know you are hurting, and I can't do much 
to help alleviate that pain, but understand this. I love you. You are the number one person in my life, and I will never let you go or ever give up on you. But Sarah, I think, think. Do you remember those years ago when we went to Egypt and I stupidly pretended you were my sister when I was more interested in my own security than in your purity? And did God not rescue us from Egypt, bring us back to the land of Canaan? Did He not walk with us all the way to Bethel and then renew us and refresh us and allow us to begin again? Was He not faithful to us back then? And think even further back, when he called us out of Ur of the Chaldees, he walked with us every step of the way, and he's increased our wealth. And look at the livestock and the land we now have. God has been faithful to us every step of the way. And Sarah, you are now encouraging me to look at the culture around us, the Egyptians and the Mesopotamians, and to use their standards for a biblical marriage. Sarah, what are you thinking? I am simply not going there, and I will never do that. Let me pause for a moment and apply some of those principles. There's a lot to be learned, and the first lesson to be learned is this, that Abraham gave in to apathy and indifference and, quite honestly, pathetic compliance. And Abraham should have stood firm and said, Sarai, we are simply not going there. We can trust him. We can trust him. Do you remember three or four weeks ago when we looked at three principles that come our way when we are tested in our faith and things are not going well? And the first was this, that any real, genuine, authentic, maturing, growing faith will be tested. Will be tested. Secondly, when that testing comes, the question we need to remember and put at the very forefront of our minds is this, that regardless of the pain and the hurt and the emotions involved, the question uppermost in our minds is this, is God sufficient for this? Is God sufficient for this? And the answer is always, definitively, absolutely yes. But both Abraham and Sarai now had spiritual amnesia, and they had forgotten how good he had been in the past. And so they plotted and schemed and manipulated for their own ends, because their thinking was this. I know how this should work out. I have insight in this circumstance. I can see this going this way and that way and the other. I know what is best. Father, just let us handle it. We can deal with this. That's what was going on in their minds. Abraham, apathy, indifference, passivity, compliance, simply went along with Sarai. Hagar, of course, is so badly treated, she runs away, 
We don't have time this morning, but let me encourage you, please, to take time this week to see what happens with Hagar. She runs away. We saw it in our reading moments ago. She runs away, and God Himself comes to her at the side of a brook, a small stream, and He speaks to her. And what does Hagar say? The language is so telling. She says, you are the God who sees. You're the God who sees my pain. You're the God who sees my frustration. You're the God who sees all of my hopes and dreams have come to nothing. And he graciously and tenderly and gently draws her to himself. You're the God who sees. Because back in the home, or what used to be her family home, notice this. In the dialogue between Abraham and Sarah, the name Hagar is never used. It's never used. And it's so much easier to abuse something or someone if they don't have a name. As far as Abraham and Sarah were concerned, she was simply a convenience, just a convenience, a baby-making machine. Did no real care for her, no concern. And as soon as they had achieved all that she wanted, they treated her with contempt and disdain, and naturally she left. Sarah becomes volcanic. She explodes, blames Abraham, as we see, and the whole thing is filled with jealousy and bitterness and recrimination. So how do we wrap it up this morning? How do we begin to draw it to a close. Here was Abraham, a man at times of remarkable faith, unquestioning obedience, uninhibited faith. Chapter 16 shows us another side entirely. So, let me close with this thought. What are the challenges that are coming your way this week? What are the situations you're facing? Have you taken that principle of doing the natural things spiritually and the spiritual things naturally? Have you taken and applied it to your everyday situation? Your family life, relationship between husband and wife, father and son, mother, daughter, children, parents, grandparents, in your place of work, Are you keeping an eye on what God is calling you to do and where you are to be? Or are you seeking to hold Him at arm's length and manipulate and fashion and shape things your own way, and then seeking to put His name on it to justify what you always wanted to do anyway? Or are you more, Thy will be done than my will be done? Apathy, indifference, to be left to one side. Sarah says, the Lord has kept me from having. Please understand this, that God wanted to give children to Sarah more than Sarah wanted them. Let me say it again. God wanted to give Sarah children more than she wanted to have them, but the timing wasn't right. He longed to bless her. 
He longed for her to have the joy and the wonder and the thrill of being a mother. But she was caught up with the immediate and caught up with the now and caught up with the emotion and caught up with the pain, and she couldn't see the purposes and plans of God. She was more interested in the scheming, plotting, planning of Sarah. We said earlier, when God refuses to give you something, it's for her own good, but Sarah could not see it. Sarah was not applying the principle of doing the natural things spiritually and the spiritual things naturally. My prayer this morning for each one of us is this, that this week we will live in this chapter, reaching a hand up and saying, Father, take me by the hand, lead me, guide me, direct me, show me the way forward. Allow me, please, to be renewed and refreshed by you again. Because at the end of the chapter, God consistently works in the life of Sarah and Abraham, and we'll see it next Sunday morning when we go from 16 into 70, 17, and he refuses to give up on them. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely unbelievable that God never gives up, washes his hands and says, I'm done with it. How many times do I have to teach you? How often do we have to go over this ground again and again and again and again? But gently, lovingly, graciously, he goes to work in the life of Sarah and Abraham once more. And he is more faithful to them than they are ever to him. He is a faithful and gracious and loving father. And it may well be this morning that you quietly and prayerfully, as we pray in a moment's time, are saying, Father, refresh me. Forgive me. What was I thinking? How fickle and stupid I've been. Forgive me, and allow me, please, to walk with you again. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you at the beginning of a new week and a new month, our prayer this morning is this, that as your children, we will seek to find ourselves in such a relationship with you that we would seek to do the natural things spiritually and the spiritual things naturally. Father, refresh us renew us. May we feel again your faithfulness, your grace, your love, your sustaining and enabling presence with us this week. Father, for those of us who are men in the congregation this morning, may we live up to be the spiritual heads of our home. May we be listening to you, walking with you, understanding where you are taking us, that we might be the men you have called us to be. And Father, as we pray for each other this morning, we pray for our marriages, and we pray that they will be strong and robust and maturing and growing as we seek to put you at the very center of them. 
Father, bless us this week, for we ask it in and through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org. Register now for Weird Animals Vacation Bible School at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. The program is free for rising K-4 through 12th grade. Visit firstpressgreenville.org to sign up. Yes, the free